Hey, welcome uh, to The Revealing. This is Pastor Frank at One Baptist Church here in Jacksonville. Uh, we hope uh, everybody is uh, staying safe and uh, enjoying their time with family at home. Uh, we know we're living through a, a, a pretty rough time, but uh, hopefully we can take this time and just uh, be able to uh, just uh, reflect on some things and, and be able to uh, remember uh, that uh, time with family is important. And uh, although, uh, you know, we're not able to get out and about, uh, being able to stay home and uh, be able to hang out uh, with our friends and family uh, is, a, is an awesome time as well. Uh, obviously, with everything that's going on, uh, we have uh, halted our recordings of The Revealing uh, and, uh, uh, for, you know, for the obvious reasons of staying safe. Uh, so what we thought we would do uh, for uh, the uh, uh, upcoming weeks is uh, maybe give you some uh, uh, some excerpts of some of our preaching that we do here at One Baptist Church in Jacksonville. Uh, what we're going to do instead of uh, uh, bringing you uh, the revealing crew, uh, we're going to take some weeks off here uh, for uh, the foreseeable future and uh, just uh, play some recordings that we've done uh, at our church uh, in One Baptist Jacks. Uh, so hopefully you'll enjoy those things. Uh, again, uh, stay safe, and uh, the Revealing crew will be coming back at you live here soon. Uh, so we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Uh, so good evening, everyone. Uh, man, I am super excited to uh, be with you tonight. I use that term loosely, but we're still somewhat together. And um, hopefully you've had a chance to uh, access the notes uh, either virtually or virtually and then print them. Um, and you can expect that uh, every week. I'm going to try my very best to get notes to you uh, because that will help me stay on track and that will help you. Um, if you saw the past couple of videos that I put out um, with the help of my parents via Facebook, um, the idea for those notes is, is it helps me, but um, it helps me to help you. And so um, hopefully you have those. If not, you can um, uh, see our, the Facebook page or if you're not on the Remind text communication systems, um, they both are, they, uh, the notes went out via both of those channels. They will also be posted with the recordings on our website uh, each week. And so you'll have those as well. Um, so however you can access those. But uh, man, listen, we are about to embark on a study that is um it's not a series as i mentioned in the video it's a study it's going to take us probably in the neighborhood of 12 to 18 months uh to track through this and um when you think of church history and you hear me say 12 to 18 months uh if you hated history in, in high school then you're probably mentally running for the hills right now and, and crying tears of sorrow and pain and anguish uh but it is not that kind of church history um, as we're going to discuss tonight uh, church history is often boring to people because it's all a bunch of facts and dates and places and names, and that's about it. And though we are going to incorporate those things, um, there is so much more to this thing of, of church history from a biblical perspective. And so what we're going to do in this study is really um, pull the curtain back, uh, get into the book, and uh, let the Lord show us um, – these, these principles that he has given us, uh, because uh, as I've mentioned in those videos, I'm going to mention this a lot tonight. You're probably going to get tired of me saying it, and I'm going to keep reminding us of this. If we don't know where we've been, friends, uh, we don't know where we're going. Um, and, and that's very, and we don't know where we are right now. 
and and I'll unpack what I mean by that uh, very shortly. Um, but uh, man, I, I'm, we're going to jump right into it. Um, and when I say jump into it, we're not really going to get to the ch- church history proper, I guess, uh, as you might think of it, um, for a few months, actually. Uh, it'll probably take us three or four months, I'm going to estimate, to to even get to that point. Uh, the reason being is because we have got to lay a foundation. We have got to clear some space off um, and, and really uh, prepare ourselves to kind of align our thinking and our understanding uh, to a, that of a biblical understanding. So here we go. Um, so if you have your notes, man, track with us. If not, I mean, if you're not a note taker, then it's all good. I get it. Uh, you're more of a, an audible learner. Uh, that's fine too. Um, so wherever you find yourself in that, but um, let's just go ahead and roll this study out uh, to, to build a biblical um, church understanding of church history. And if we're going to understand what God uh, wants us to know about what he has been doing over the last 200 years, excuse me, 2,000 years, there are some fundamental things that we have to have in our thinking. And and we say 2,000 years because uh, those of us that have been around understand that uh, this thing of the church age uh, is a 2,000-year time frame. And biblically speaking, after that comes the end, according to the Word of God. We have to understand some things about the Bible. We have to understand how biblical patterns develop and how they continue on through history. And we have to understand not only what God says, but we've got to understand how he thinks. And we can understand how he thinks if we understand his word, if we're in his word, because the, we have the mind of Christ, First uh, Corinthians 2.16 tells us. And so we can know his mind as he has revealed it to us in his word. And building a biblical church history is not simply tracing the facts. And this is what I alluded to earlier about what makes it so, so boring for many people. It's not about tracing the facts of what happened and where it happened and when it happened. Um, uh, those things have their place, but this is where everyone goes in church history. You pick up many uh, a church history literature today, and that's where most people will take you. But it's understanding why it happened and how it happened. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, just like building a house, y'all, we have to spend some time laying the foundation. We can't just throw walls up. We, we, can't, we, we have to clear the ground. We have to lay the foundation. It's extremely important. So we're going to determine, first and foremost, why an understanding of church history needs to be built. Because that why is so, so so important. Why do we even in 2020 need to understand or know for that matter what has, what has happened before us? Because really, who cares about the what if you don't know the why? That's why this is important. Who cares about the what if you don't know the why? For example, if you were, if you were like me uh, in math when you were growing up, for a lot of that math, especially the high school math, Algebra, Algebra 2, Trigonometry, uh, Geometry, all those, you're like, why do I even need to know this? When am I going to use this in the real world? You know, we probably felt that way oftentimes. And, and, and it's the same here. 
if we don't know the why, then really knowing the what, the information, it really isn't that big of a deal. So it's extremely critical because here's why. Most Christians walking around today, y'all, they know what they believe, at least to a certain degree, I would say. They know what they believe, but they don't know why they believe it. They can tell you what they believe about God or the Bible, maybe, and and this and that, but they don't know why they believe it. And that's why this is so important. So why an understanding of church history? Because, number one, God tells us to. He tells us to have an understanding. In Job chapter 8, verses 8 through 10, I want you to watch what he tells us. He says, for inquire, I pray thee of the former age what he's saying there is hey study the things of the past he says inquire of the former age and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers for we are but of yesterday and know nothing because our days upon the earth are a shadow shall not they teach thee He's speaking of the fathers, the former age. Shall not they teach thee and tell thee and utter words out of their heart? And what he's saying here is, listen, life is a shadow, is it not? If we're only living by our own experience, there is not enough time in this life to get it all, to understand it all uh, from, from God's perspective, from a biblical perspective. And so we are told to study our fathers. In other words, those that have gone on before us, the patriarchs, the ancestors, the former age, they will teach us as we look back. They will utter words out of their heart. There are things, y'all, that God wants us to learn from history. But the, the, the sad, unfortunate reality is that the only thing that men learn from history is that men never learn from history. That is the sad reality, is the biggest thing that men learn from history is that men never learn from history. And so as Christians, we need to wake up, and we need to realize that there are things that God wants us to learn from history. And it's for no other reason than the fact that God Almighty tells us to do so. The second reason why is because of what he tells us will happen to us if we don't, if we don't what? If we don't build a biblical understanding of the former age. Because Proverbs 22 and verse 28 says, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And so from a historical application, contextually speaking, the land uh, for people was often um, designated with landmarks, and they were instructed not to move those landmarks lest you move or, or not know what, where your land is, where it begins, where it ends, what, what all encompasses that. So historically speaking, there's a context there, but we're going to study this verse a little bit more in depth just a bit, but from a doctrinal perspective or prophetically speaking, really what God is saying is that, listen, our fathers in the former age have set up some landmarks. And a landmark helps you find your way. And if you're walking through a field, things begin to look the same if there aren't any landmarks. 
And it gets really easy to get lost and to think you're in one place when you're really in another. I hope you're tracking with me on that because it's very true if you've ever been out camping or out in the woods or in a field or whatnot. But listen, and that's the problem with most Christians today, is that they think they're in one place, but they're really in another place. And it's because the landmarks have been removed. And in 21st century Christianity, most people don't know where they came from where they are in the field, or where they're heading. And I'm not just talking about, oh, I'm going to heaven when I die. He says the same thing in the very next chapter the Lord does. Proverbs 23 and verse 10. Remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Listen, if you remember back in school when the teacher wrote something on the board more than once or said it more than once, you knew it was a big deal. You knew you better grab onto that. And the Lord's doing the same thing here. And, and again, the picture here is of us walking through the world and not having any idea where you are because there aren't any landmarks. And what's scary is most Christians don't even know that they're lost in the fields of the fatherless. It, it would be one thing if they knew they were in the fields of the fatherless, but if you're walking around without realizing you're off track and thinking you're okay, pretty soon you're going to get so far lost, you may not even be able to find your way back. And so it's one thing to be, to, to, to be uh, lost in the field and know it. It's another thing altogether to be lost in the field, but think you're okay. Think you know where you are, where you've been, where you're going. And so we're going to work on tonight for several, <laughs> several, several more weeks to come formulating a biblical definition of church history because i don't care what and you shouldn't care what i say church history is or what the definition of certain things are it doesn't matter what a denomination says uh, i think we all agree with that but we need a biblical understanding and a biblical definition of church history and in order to do that we have to understand that god has established some very critical patterns that he has purposely and intentionally set in place that cannot and must not be violated. So, number one, the pattern that God used in creation, okay? And many of us, again, I think we know some of this, but in case we forgot, or, or for those who may not, uh, watch what, uh, going back to Job, watch what God says in Job 12, uh, verses 7 through 9. He says, but ask now the beasts... And they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Who knoweth not, and all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? In other words, God's not saying, hey, be, be a wacko and go talk to the animals and the trees and see what they say to you. No. He's saying, listen, I have put in my creation patterns. And truth that if you will open your eyes and look and inquire of them, verse 9, who knoweth not that in all these the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, that creation speaks of his glory, and it teaches us, Romans 1.20 says, of his Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the answer to Job 12.9, who knoweth not in all these things that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, the answer is a lot of people. 
The answer is many, many Christians don't know this. Many lost people don't know this. And, and he says in Romans 1.20, we're very familiar with this, I think, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Even, as I said earlier, his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. The invisible characteristics of God can be seen in evidence in the physical and visible. Listen, God is an ordered, structured, and perfect God. So when he goes to create the universe, you would expect it to be perfectly structured and ordered. And it is. Now, obviously, sin has gotten in and messed that up. But God wanted his creation to exemplify all that he is. And so listen, the pattern that God used in creation was himself. And since God is a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, everything that is physical will break down into a system of threes. And this is, again, this will serve as a reminder for, for many of us, uh, but for some, it may be the first time we're seeing this. But notice how God's system of threes breaks down in many different ways uh, as it relates to what is physical. Uh, so let's just take the physical realm for a moment, and we notice that, that man is comprised of a body, a soul, and a spirit. And the environment around us is comprised of, of land and sea and air and the kingdoms of this physical world. You have an animal kingdom, you have a plant kingdom, and you have a mineral kingdom. And then you have the dimensions of physical matter as we know it, uh, length times width times height. You have three primary colors, red, yellow, and blue. Uh, and the elements that make up, again, the physical realm as we know it, solid, liquid, gas, uh, the, to the very um, atomic um, components, protons, electrons, and neutrons. And on and on we could go. It's just, it's amazing how this physical world as we know it breaks down into this system of threes. Why is that? It's because God... God's characteristics, he is a triune God. He, he is three, but he is one. We don't serve three gods. We serve one God, but he has manifested himself in three. And he has done so, uh, or done the same in his physical creation. But not only that, uh, it also uh, works out in a system of three as it relates to time. And that's the past, obviously, the present and the future. And that's going to become critical for our study. Um, but let me let me throw this at you real quick as well. Uh, it also works out uh, as it relates to his plan. And when it comes to God's plan, and this is where we're going to really take off here. As it relates to God's plan for the universe, okay, so if everything is broken down into a system of threes that we've talked about, time, physical elements, and, and so on and so on, would not be... God's plan, because if he's structured and ordered and perfect, would not his plan also break down into a system of threes? Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, this is just for illustration, and then we'll get to the point. 
Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, plural. And then he says over in Hebrews again, chapter 11, verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And, and so twice he uses the plural of worlds and not just singular. And just as an analogy, it's like, like an ant farm. Right, they have they're in their little case there, and they have their their little ant hills and their valleys, uh, their tunnels, um, and they have this little thing here and, and all that going on. And all they see and all they know is their own little world around them. They have their own thing going on. Uh, they don't really see past their own little glass walls. And today, we are the same way. See, science thinks that it's got it all figured out. And, and listen, I, I don't hate science. I and mean, There's a lot of great science out there. <laughs> but there's a lot of uh, science falsely so-called out there. And, and so we think we've got this thing figured out, but we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what's out there. And so God's plan for the universe, biblically speaking, represents the future. And you can see how that unfolds uh, in Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, we, we won't go there right now. But he has a plan for the universe, which is the future. And then he has a plan for the earth. And that represents history or the past. And, and all his plan encompasses 6,000 years of human history on this planet. And so he, ha he has a plan for the universe. He has a plan, and that's the future. He has a plan for the earth, and that's the past or history. Um, and then, of course, God has a plan for your life, and that represents the present. Now, listen, you are currently alive, right? You don't need me to jump on here and tell you that. And whether you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior or not, you are part of God's plan. He has a plan for your life and because you can't be on this earth and not and God not have a plan for your life. You can't be on this earth and not be part of God's plan for the universe. Whether you want to be or not, whether you think you are or not, that's the way he designed it. There is a past, there is a present, and there is a future. And you cannot, cannot cannot i say you cannot separate those three you have to have all of them you have to have all three the past the present and the future why because that is who he is that is our god he uh, comprised everything as we know it in this system of threes uh, you can't wipe out jesus out of the godhead and, or the trinity and still have the trinity you, you can't take the length out of a line and still have a line. You, you, you can't take um, any of those three things that we, or excuse me, all of those systems, any one of those three things in that particular system and still have that system. So in all the systems God has laid out, in order for it to be what God designed it to be, it must have all three. 
It must have all three. Okay, so why in the world did we talk about that? Like, how does that even relate? Why did we even go into that? Because Christians tend to believe that in every area except history. We can get on board with the three thing and amen that. Oh, that's really cool. And we believe it in every area except history. I mean, are we really, listen, are we really to believe that God doesn't have a plan for history, the past, the present, and the future? Because listen, the same people who don't know Jack Diddley about history, and I'm not trying to be stupid about that, the same people who don't know anything about history, they know nothing about where they came from in, the, in this thing of the Bible, in this thing of, of church history. They're the same people who will tell you that they know where they are and where they're going. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. You've taken out one of those three components in God's system of threes, and you have to have all three. And that's why we're doing this study. That's why this is so important, and that's why it's so practical for us today. Because without the past, you won't know where you are, friend. And as sure as the day is long, you surely won't have a clue about where you're headed. This thing of history is so important. It's impossible to know where you're going if you don't know where you are and where you've been. I am going to beat that horse until it is begging for mercy tonight, but you're going to have to bear with me, and you're going to have to hang in there because I want us to get this. I want let God show us this. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Watch this. He says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, there's your present, it shall be forever. There's your future. Nothing can be put to it, nor can any or nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. Verse 15. That which hath been past is now, there's your present, and that which is to be, there's your future, hath already been, there's your past. And God requireth that which is past. And so right there, God carves out some space, and he says, listen, and this is how we word it in your notes there, you will never understand, friend, where you are until you understand where you've been. And you will never understand where you're going until you understand where you are and how you got there. And according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, God always repeats history that is that is not me that is not pastor frank that is not one baptist church that is not the living faith fellowship that is that is the bible that's why this is so important again let's use the bible and and prove this out for just a moment notice what things were in place or what things were true when christ came the first time on this planet we know that Rome was in power. We know that the Jews were in the homeland, that they were, they were in their land. We know that he came in two stages, did he not? At his first coming, he appeared privately, secretly, alone in the night to his chosen disciples. That, that's, that'd be the manger. But then 30 years after his birth, he appeared publicly to his enemies, and that would be the ministry of John the Baptist. 
And in the Bible, there, of course, we know there happened to be four counts of his first coming. We call those Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when we apply the principle of Ecclesiastes 3, 14 through 15, we can't help but realize that when he comes again, friends, Rome will once again be in power. It, it, it will not be um, necessarily political, physical Rome. But spiritual Rome will be in power. The Jews will once again be in their homeland because they are already are and have been since 1948. Uh, he will also come in two stages. He will appear privately in a mystery as a thief in the night to catch out his chosen disciples. We call that the rapture of the church. But seven years later, friends, after the rapture of the church, he will appear publicly to his enemies. And he will start kicking butt and taking names. And we, we know that as his second coming. And finally, of course, there are four counts of his second coming in the book of Revelation. Listen, history repeats itself. That which is to be hath already been. Don't think that you're going to be able to yank out the what has been part out of time and out of his plan and think that you're the most that you can be the most effective person for his plan in your life. You can't. You can't dissect history out of God's plan and expect that you're going to be used by the fullest degree by God. To do that would be contrary to everything he is and everything he has made. Just like everything else, we've got to have that system of 3. You've got to know the past. You've got to know where you are, and you've got to know where you're going. You can't have the present and the future without the past. And, and here's what I'm not saying, though. I'm not saying that if we don't know this stuff that, that God can't use us or, or that you don't really love God. No. But if you wipe away history, if you stick uh, your symbolic head in the sand like an ostrich, if you continue to embrace ignorance and simple-mindedness, you lose the ancient landmark, and you won't know anything. You'll think you will, but you can't know what God's going to do in the future because you don't know what he's done in the past. And it becomes impossible for you to figure out where you are between those two things, the past and the future. So you enter into the fields of the fatherless. And once you've taken out the landmarks, that's where false doctrine comes in. Because those landmarks keep us straight. Do you remember uh, Proverbs twenty two twenty eight? It said, don't remove the ancient landmark, right? And so doctrinally speaking, let's talk about what is that ancient landmark? What are we talking about by that? From a prof We talked about the historical part, right? But from a prophetic standpoint, doctrinally, that ancient landmark is the nation of Israel. Listen. It is extremely important that you get that because when you go to the Bible and you've removed the nation of Israel and you begin to try and take a passage that was written to a Jew specifically, you're going to get all kinds of messed up in false doctrine. You move the Jew and you get messed up about baptism because you'll go to Acts chapter 2 where a message to a group of Jews was being preached and you begin to believe that you need to be baptized to be saved. And that's where baptismal regeneration pops up. What about tongues? 
you, you move the ancient landmark uh, of the nation of Israel, the Jew, and you now have room for, for this uh, heretical uh, doctrine and practice of speaking in tongues. If you remove not the ancient landmark, you don't have room for that. And listen, if all this is at stake, you can bet your bottom dollar that Satan will work every way he can to get you to move or to remove that ancient landmark. And it's happening now. It's happening all around us. It's, it's what happened back, back, not just today, but our whole lives, and we may not have even realized it. Because do you know what most of you got when you went to school and took a history class? You got a Gentile history. We got history minus the nation of Israel. And that's what Proverbs 23.10 is describing as the fields of the fatherless. It's Gentile history. And when I say Gentile history, I mean history with Israel removed. And we have to ask ourselves, why did that happen? I mean, when, when David was king over Israel, man, Israel was a world power. And after David, you had Solomon, his son. And the kingdom of Israel during that time was dominating the world when it came to wealth and power and authority. But you go searching through history books and all of that has been removed. Historians will take you to the time when Israel was in captivity to other rulers, right? They'll take you to the Babylonian history and to the Persians and to the Greek culture where you learn about Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. That period when God was silent, that intertestament time frame between our Old and our New Testament of 400 years when God was intentionally silent. Why? Why, why do they do that? See, Satan doesn't want you to believe the Bible. He doesn't want you to find yourself in the field. And he doesn't want you to find God in history. And listen, because Christians have no idea, we look at all this stuff from the fields of the father, fatherless, and we see nothing wrong. Things are just hunky-dory. Things are going great. We see nothing wrong. Just as an example, just do a little bit of research, just a little bit, and, and um, try to realize, try to grab onto what you're not seeing by viewing, for example, past major wars and events from a biblical standpoint. For example, uh, World War I and, and World War II. You know, most of us view those events from the fields of the fatherless, from Gentile history. But do you realize that in World War I, God was getting the land ready for the Jew to go back into their land? And do you realize that in World War II, God was getting the Jew ready for their land? It's, it's an amazing thing. And, and you think, well, what does that have to do with anything? Like, okay, that's, that's nice, but what does that really have to do with anything? It's, it has to do with a lot. Because the nation of Israel will one day rule the world, and every Gentile nation in the world is going to come and bow the knee to the king of Israel, who will set up his kingdom and rule from his throne in Jerusalem, and his name will be Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews. And all of history, y'all, World War I, World War II, and on and on, like, 
wasn't just a terrible thing. I mean, yeah, it was terrible. The Holocaust, World War II. Uh, but you've got to see God in that. Uh, Pilate, he mockingly put over that title, uh, put that title over uh, Jesus' head when he was on the cross, King of the Jews. But one day soon, it won't be a mocking title. It will be a majestic position that he will hold over all the earth. And listen, for that to happen, God had to get the Jew and their land ready because he's working a plan for the earth. And I'm just going to tell you, I believe with everything in me, COVID-19 is going on because God is working a plan for the earth. And I don't think it's the plan that a lot of Christians may think it is. Meaning, everything that happens in history, y'all, is pushing us toward that, that, that pivotal, critical event, the second coming of Christ. And yeah, this time allows us to connect with family and slow down and, you know, those types of things. But there's so much more going on from a biblical standpoint. I believe that, friends. And here we are. We have no clue what God was doing back in the 400s or what he was doing in the 1300s, in the 1100s. We have no clue what he's doing in 2020 for that matter. And if we don't know that, how will we know what he's going to do in the future? And if we don't know what he's going to do in the future, how do we know where we are right now? Uh, do you see how, how critical this is, how, how practical this is for us today? This becomes very important for us. So let's um, get back here to uh, putting a biblical definition of church history in place. So, so with everything that we've kind of laid out here, biblically speaking, y'all, a biblical definition of church history is the movement of God through history to accomplish his threefold plan for the universe, the earth, and your life. And it is the movement of the devil through history to counter, counterfeit, and confound God's threefold plan. And that is the problem with church history. Because most theologians, most scholars, most historians, most Christians, for that matter, they don't see God in history or church history. And they sure as the day is long don't see Satan in it either. It's just facts and names and places. But listen, a biblical church history is the movement of God through history to accomplish his threefold plan for the universe, the earth, and your life. And it's the movement of the devil through history to counter, counterfeit and confound God's threefold plan. And this is why the greatest imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ is the devil and we might think what are you talking about he is the greatest antithesis of the lord jesus christ that makes no sense it makes biblical sense though do you remember in, in isaiah chapter 14 and verse 14 lucifer before he fell when he was the anointed uh, cherub that covereth what did he say he wanted to do among his five infamous i wills he said i will be like 
the most high from from the gunshot and the gates opening he wanted to be like the most high and, and so i, I want to just kind of spend um before we close out this evening spend a little bit of time uh looking at, at how scripture bears this out um because as i said if we're going to understand anything about church history if we're going to understand anything about um what's been going on and, and what is going on in the future, I mean, then we have to know what's happened in the past. We have to look at it through a biblical lens. And so let's unpack this. Uh, there's a chart there in your notes um, that we're going to kind of go through. Um, but I want you to notice these similarities between uh, our Lord and, and, and the devil. Do you know that both were called a light? John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 11.4 tells us that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, right? We ought not to be looking for him uh, carrying his pitchfork and his horns on his head and his little pointy tail. We ought to realize that Satan is working on, uh, and, and under the, or behind the guise of Christianity, of the Bible, In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2, Jesus is called the king of the Jews. But know that in Job 41 and verse 34, uh, Job 41 is about uh, Leviathan, by the way. And in, in a couple months or so, several weeks from now, we'll look at a study on that book, on that chapter alone, uh, because that's going to be important for us. But Satan is also called a king over all the children of pride. In Luke chapter 3, verse 23, um, we see that Jesus became flesh. And as we kind of uh, unpack that biblically, it says there in Luke three twenty-three, he began to be about 30 years of age uh, when he began his earthly ministry. Obviously, God, 1 Timothy three sixteen, God became flesh. And he ministered on the earth for 42 months before he was crucified. And, and there's coming a man that Revelation 13, 5 says, Power will be given to him for 40 and two months. And after the church is taken out, he will deceive many. He, as, as an angel of light, so to speak, as a savior, he will come in and he will um, a, a claim to, to uh, be able to make peace with the Middle East. And he will, be, he will come in and um, have all the answers, uh, have, have all his ducks in a row. And be able to, 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 to do things that no other world leader has been able to do. And everyone will look to him. But there is, that is the Antichrist, Satan behind that man. That is Satan in flesh. And he will minister for three and a half years, 42 months on this earth. Jesus in Revelation 19.11 is recorded, uh, and he will uh, come in on a white horse. Uh, at his second coming, and we will be behind him as his church, uh, his name being faithful and true. And in righteousness, the Bible says he will judge and make war. But of course, in Revelation 6, 2, Satan has to have his. And he is on a white horse. He has a bow and a crown was given to him. And he is going forth to conquer, uh, conquering and to conquer that Antichrist. Revelation 21, 9 through 10 tells us 
that the Lord Jesus Christ will have a bride who is a church and a city. It says, there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me. And this is John, obviously, saying this. Uh, he said, come hither. I will show thee, uh, John hears. I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away uh, in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. But listen, friends. Satan will have a bride who is a church and a city. Revelation 17, 4 describes her as a woman who is arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and she is decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And in verse 18, we see that woman uh, sees, or the woman which thou sawest, John is told, is that great city that which reigneth over the kings of the earth. And, and I think many of us know uh, the context here, uh, but we're not going to get into that. Uh, we will spend plenty and ample time on that in weeks to come. But notice the similarities. Both are called God. Jesus obviously is God in the flesh. He, uh, John 20 and 28, Thomas answered and said unto him, uh, after uh, the crucifixion, uh, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord, uh, Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. But Satan, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, is called the God, the little g, God of this world. And as the God of this world, the Bible says he has blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Both Jesus and Satan are called a lion in the scriptures. Revelation 5, 5, and one of the elders say, so, so John is, is um, again, in the spirit in the Lord's day, and he's seen these most amazing things in Revelation uh, 4 and 5. Um, and one of the elders uh, saith unto him, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Those seven seals being that judgment that is going to uh, pour out on the earth during that time. And so our Lord Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And of course, First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us to be sober, to be vigilant, because... Our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. It's very interesting how our King James Bible preserves these words for us so we can compare spiritual to spiritual and see these things. And finally, they're both called a prince. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, um, the prophecy, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Jesus is called, the Prince of Peace. Yet in John sixteen eleven, speaking of Satan, we see he, the Prince of this world, that he will be judged. And just like the um, system of threes, I mean, we could go on and on with this principle here. 
but but why why are we looking at this and and how does this this play into this biblical definition well go back and look at that definition right there's the movement of god through history and there's the counter movement of the devil and every time god does something satan is right there to counter he's right there to counterfeit and he's right there to confound god's work and god's plan but again you go to the history books and you get the idea that somewhere along the line, Satan suddenly just died, and he's not working through the church anymore. And and this church age we're living in now, uh, we're living in uh, the, the greatest and the most uh, explosive, uh, uh, spiritually um, wonderful times of revival. And all of these different Bibles we have available to us and these different translations and all these different mega churches and small churches and all these different beliefs and and man, it's just such an amazing time uh, to, to be a Christian. It is an amazing time to be a Christian, but not for those reasons, friend. Because Satan is, he has been, and he is working, counterfeiting, confounding, and confusing, trying to, God's plan. And as we study this stuff out in the coming months, you can expect to see him, Satan that is, in counterfeit religion, you can expect to see him in philosophy. You can expect to see him in teachings. You can expect to see him in movements, in doctrines, in all of that. And we're going to unpack all that stuff. So listen, not only does Satan not want you to be able to find God in history, he does not want you to be able to find him in history. So he's very, very slick in how he operates. You need to remember and you need to understand that principle of Ecclesiastes 3, 14 and 15. That which hath been is now. And that which is to be hath already been. And we'll begin to see how Satan has crept in to church history. And most people have totally missed the fact that he's there and record it and study it and understand it from a secular perspective, even though they're Christian. And what we're going to see next week is how the devil had a plan that started way back in Genesis 2 and 3. And remember, that which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And if we can identify that pattern, all through church history, we can identify what God has been doing over the last 2,000 years. And why should we even care about that? So that we know where we are today and we know where we're headed. And we won't let false doctrines creep in. We won't let vain philosophy creep into our biblical understanding. We won't think that we are in one place when we're really in a totally different place because you know what? When you're when you watch the Olympics, and you won't be watching them this year, I doubt, but when you watch the Olympics, you see those people running those those four hundred meter dashes or whatever they're running, you see them act a little different when they realize they're close to the finish line. They pick up the pace a little more. They behave a little more differently or a little more different. We tend to act, behave differently at the beginning 
in the middle, and at the end. And we've got to know where we are. And to do that, we've got to know where we've been. And if we don't know those two, then we're just definitely not going to know where we're going. So I do hope that, um, thanks for hanging with me there. I, I do hope that uh, maybe even in the slightest, uh, this has maybe whet your appetite uh, for um, what we're going to be doing. Um, again, we will be using uh, the lens of nothing else uh, but this book. And that's it. And um, man, I I'm excited for it. Um, I hope you are. So, so stay tuned um, for, for follow-up of videos that I'll be posting, notes, as I said, I'll be putting out every week, and, um, and, and our studies at this time and this place. These recordings will be made available on our website, so if you want to go back and listen to part of it again or catch something or share it uh, or you can't be here with us uh, during this time, then that will also be made available to you. Uh, but um, let's pray. And uh, I do hope that um, maybe you can take some of these things and just go back and, and be a Berean. Go back and search the scriptures. Uh, let these things kind of marinate in your mind this week. And maybe we can see things from a, a biblical perspective. Father, God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for um, preserving this word for us. God, thank you for the grace that you give us, Lord. God, not, not some cheap misunderstanding of grace where you look the other way while we sin and we act like it's okay because there's grace. God, no, but thank you for giving us your grace, Lord, for allowing us and helping us to understand these things, to have these things in our possession, God. The fact that we have the word of God in our, our, our hands tonight is no small thing. And we'll definitely see that, I believe, as we uh, go further in this study and unpack these things. God, I pray that this study for me will make me fall in love with you even more and with your word even more. God, I pray that it will give me a, a greater zeal and passion and burden for you, uh, for your word, for your righteousness, uh, or for, for the never-dying souls of men and women. God, I pray that uh, you would uh, light in all of us a uh, fire. God, that, that, that we keep our eyes open, biblically speaking, that we remove not the ancient landmarks, that we seek to rightly divide your word, not so we can, can gain knowledge, but God, so that we can rightly divide your word and rightly know you and love you and serve you. God, you are not worthy of improper and wrong thoughts. You are worthy of right thoughts, of right understanding, of right doctrine. And God, may we, as we go through this study, present to you nothing less. So God, I, I pray that this was a blessing to you, Lord. And Father, help us, Lord, to, to get on board with what you are doing, with what you are blessing. Help us, Lord, to get on board and to know where we are so we can know how we ought to live. In Jesus' name, amen.